This is Media Watch. I'm Colin Peacock. This week we look at a surprising new service from News Talk ZB, offering news and opinion for paying customers, and curated by a guy who's not only not a journalist, but who made his mark on the media as an offshore blogger, hiding behind the pseudoname of a long dead Archbishop of Canterbury, who was eventually executed for heresy. But first, the election outcome could hang on the undecided, and now the media are zeroing in on them. But no group is more undecided, and not coincidentally unenrolled, than younger voters who actually have a lot to lose or to win. So what can our media do to engage them at election time? Winston Peters can expect a call. The latest One News variant poll numbers reveal National is slipping and it'll need both ACT and New Zealand First to govern. Meanwhile, Labour's slide continues and things are tight five days before early voting starts. That was Simon Dallow kicking off TVNZ One News on Wednesday with, what else, the result of their latest weekly Varian opinion poll, which they paid for. And it pretty closely mirrored the Reed research one that their rivals at News Hub revealed two days earlier, and they took the same angle. New Zealand first attracting enough support in the poll to make News Hub at six. Imagine this scenario. Both Labour and National have taken a dive while, wait for it, Winston Peters has crossed the threshold. He is coming back to Parliament and his kingmaker crown is sitting atop his head once more. Our political editor Jenna Lynch is here now with the numbers. So Jenna, when he's back. Yes, the kingmaker is back. But no one's really back until the election votes are in and a within-the-margin-of-error result in one survey of a 1,000 people three weeks out is not enough to say that they are. On Wednesday, ACT leader David Seymour told TVNZ it's way too early yet for Winston to, in his words, measure the curtains or count any chickens. And TVNZ's political editor Jessica Much Mackay told her viewers it was a reminder that small movements in support can still make a big difference when it really counts on the 14th of October. And so might this. There are still 11% undecided voters and the fact that these national voters aren't necessarily rusted in because it was only a few months ago that Labour was actually doing OK in the polls. Now, One week earlier, Jessica Much Mackay told TVNZ viewers 12% of people were still to make up their minds and this proportion, she said, usually comes down further and faster as the voting period draws closer. And in some places, it might be even higher. In her Mata pre-election report from the Ikarawarafiti region last week, Mihinaringi Forbes said that polling there had found almost a third of voters were undecided in that Māori electorate, running from Gisborne all the way down to the western North Island and the Hutt Valley. And a rise in the undecided does seem to be a global trend in elections these days. Before the Spanish election in July, the share of undecided voters rose to 23%, up from 16% in the previous one in 2019. And pollsters are recording more don't-know-yets in places with elections due next year as well. Gallup recently found 49% of US adults were classed as independent, and that's an all-time high. And in the UK, the pollster YouGov found that 17% of their voters are still standing at the crossroads. But why would this be? Well, Carla Subirana, a policy analyst for the Bank of England and a writer for The Economist, recently said that the cost-of-living crisis had pushed many voters to consider alternatives that don't necessarily reflect their traditional views. She also said social media and online news sources are altering voters' opinions more because people get a faster-moving flow of morselised and often contradictory information. And with more people's political support in flux, she reckoned that parties' terms in office might become shorter in the future, 
undermining countries' abilities to address really long-term challenges like climate change, ageing populations, sustainability and more. But will the future really pan out like that? Well, we'll see. But undecided voters becoming a decisive factor in elections is certainly on the radar of political movements and their strategists. And right now, the media here are onto it in this campaign. If the undecideds are now looming large, many of the young are under-engaged and on morning report on Wednesday, Anna Sargent said 36% of 18 to 24-year-olds are not yet enrolled to vote and that compares to just 2% of those over 60 years of age. With much of the debate and policies aimed at the older generation, they feel their issues are not seen as important. Student Millie Musset says she wants to see more young people engaged in the election. We've got friends that are just turned 18 and we talk about it. We'll be like, are you going to vote? And they're like, I don't know if I can be bothered because, again, it's that research thing. Like, yeah. you've got to look into it and that's, for some people, it's like, I don't like stressful do experience. Yeah. Coincidentally, later that same night, Patrick Gower told Newshubbit six viewers that one side of the hall for that night's Hipkins versus Luxon TV debate, which he moderated, would be filled with undecided voters. And the other side? There's going to be a youth wing. All of the voters on that side will be under 25. They are the future of the country and they deserve to have a say and they will have their eagle eyes on these two leaders. But during the 90-minute tussle, those young people didn't actually have any input into it. 48 hours earlier, though, that wasn't the case when TBNZ lined up a debate in which all parliamentary parties and Wannabes New Zealand First were quizzed about the issues for millennials and Gen Z. Kia ora koutou. In the supermarket today, one cabbage was $7. With that and the cost of rent, plus, of course, you know, the impending doom of climate change, it can feel like a pretty shit time to be a young person. But we've got politicians here to tell us what they're going to do about it. That was Anna Harcourt, the content editor of TBNZ's digital content service for younger people called RE, who hosted that debate with help from Isaac Gunson from TBNZ's digital news team. And that debate was a digital creation available on the on-demand streaming platform TBNZ+, the One News website and social media platforms including the youth favourite TikTok. But it wasn't on old-fashioned TBNZ1, which seemed a pity because even the not-quite-youth-adjacent and almost certainly non-habitual TikTok-using primetime TV viewers would have been informed and entertained, and like the other TBNZ debates, the issues up for debate were informed by Ipsos Research, which found that the top concern for those younger voters was the same one it's been for every other group so far. They have shown climate change, rainbow rights and housing are a priority for young people. But the biggest issue by a landslide that came through as being on young people's minds was by far the cost of living. And some of the most heated exchanges came in the debate over rainbow rights. Like this one with the Greens' Chloe Swarbrick taking on New Zealand First candidate Lee Donoghue over his party's proposed ban on students using the bathrooms of their preferred gender. We're not going to accept this because there are people on the outliers that aren't just you know, really nice people. They do this for a reason. I just, if you want to talk about the actual stats and the actual evidence and the actual data, what we know full well is that our trans and non-binary and gender minority whānau are disproportionately represented in mental ill health, addiction and suicide statistics. Yes, and we don't want to encourage... And, mate, 
It's driven by rhetoric from the likes of your party. No, it's not. And I expect... It's driven, it's driven by rhetoric by your party, which is encouraging it in young children. That's why okay. we want to remove it from schools. Okay, more more kids stuff. now are transgendering or, or transitioning <laughs> than ever before. And as for those who say it's a shame that a contentious issue like this always seems to end up in too much conflict, well, it was also aired in this debate without rancour. This is what National Party MP Erica Stanford had to say about it. I go into schools every day of the week because it's my portfolio. And I ask them this question, how do you deal with it? Especially in a primary school where you've got uh, a child who is gender diverse. And the schools say, well, we just deal with it. Mm. We, we have a, either use a staff bathroom or we assign them a bathroom and yep. it's not a problem. Schools are a good you know what? for this. It's really not a problem. Mm. Um, and so I just think that it's just something that's a distraction from the really big issues around the economy and cost of living. And those issues on cost of living were also discussed with candidates including Te Pāti Māori's Hannah Rafiti Mapai Clark, who is 21 years old. When we still have to pay for our education fees, groceries, gas prices, it's unrealistic to survive. It shouldn't be called the cost of living, it should actually be called the cost of surviving here in Aotearoa. But at times the host, Anna Harcourt, had to deploy her disciplinary buzzer. Because we as a movement, our party, our people need us more than ever. 30 seconds. Now the buzzer-bashing debate host Anna Harcourt there has been with TVNZ's ReNews ever since it started six years ago, making it the most comprehensive and established effort of any of our major media companies to reach younger Kiwis with news and issues. Anna, who's now content editor and her ReNews team, picked up several of this year's Voyager Awards for journalism when they were up against general mainstream news media outlets for those prizes. So this week, Hayden Donnell asked Anna Harcourt how they go about getting news to younger citizens who are often either overlooked or hard to reach for our news media. And how she went about that debate last Monday, and does every host who needs to keep them on track and on time need one of those big red buzzers? Kia ora, Anna. Welcome to Media Watch. Kia ora. First off, have you ever hosted a debate before? I have never hosted a debate before. What was your tactic going in? I noticed that you made extravagant use of your buzzer, yes. particularly at the start. Uh, my tactic was to have fun, and the buzzer for me was part of that. I think that politics is so serious and can feel so serious and overwhelming, but a debate can also be fun and a bit silly. Um, and I had started a series on TikTok, Politics in 60 Seconds, where I explained different political parties' policies in 60 seconds. Uh, and I have this like obnoxious timer on my face counting down to the 60 seconds. It's just taking the, the seriousness of um, policy with like a dumb gag of trying to actually explain it all in 60 seconds maybe about a month or two ago and it really blew up it's gotten hundreds of thousands of views and I thought well what's a what's a you know how do we bring some of the kind of the the dumb fun in and I was like I want my buzzer where did you get the buzzer from like did you have to nick it out of the old set for wheel of fortune or something go rummaging around in the tvnz basement our producer for the debate, Caitlin McGee, ordered it online. <laughs> yeah. Did you test the, the buzzer sound before you did that? Did you want a particularly obnoxious buzzer? The buzzers only arrived on the day, maybe the day before. Uh, we, we thought the buzzer was never going to make it, but it showed up just in time, just in the it's, nick of time. TVNZ, back in the days of Wheel of Fortune, Sale of the Century, they would have had dozens of buzzers lying around. Now you, now you can't even get, a, get your hands on a buzzer. No, I disagree. On. We well, we were we we were able to order a buzzer, and the buzzer arrived. 
That's that's the company line for sure, but I'd say that TVNZ <laughs> has definitely let itself down in this area. I'm certain there's probably buzzers all through the building. Um, I wouldn't know where to find them. Okay. It was a really attention-grabbing debate. It was fiery at times, and I know you can't really be objective on this, but what was your assessment of how it went? Uh, it's really enjoyable having the six political parties um, being able to get that range of opinion and uh, you know that helps make it like you say it helps make it fiery Um, I also think it makes it hopefully useful for younger viewers for people who maybe don't already know heaps about politics um, you know scenes you know shared on Instagram and things like that some people saying oh you know I watched this with a 20 year old that I know who you know who's a first-time voter and who 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 hasn't already engaged with this stuff and that actually this was a really helpful kind of like one hour way to get a good sense of what each party is putting forward for younger voters which is what I was really 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 hoping that it would be these multi-party debates don't necessarily get the same platform and the same audience for instance <laughs> this one was just on the TVNZ plus platform which is really successful and well watched but should it have had an audience on on linear TV as well? Should it have been on TV One? The idea behind it is we were trying to target younger voters and younger audience members. And the reality is they watch things on the internet. For us, it was really important that we live streamed it on TikTok. You know, we got thousands of viewers watching it on TikTok. And, um, you know, there was people in the studio control room making it so that it was, you know, the live broadcast, which is in like a landscape format, in live time reconfiguring it so that it's in a vertical format, so that it's really easy and nice to watch just on your phone. Um, we had the live stream on the Renews YouTube, which is also now getting, you know, tens of thousands of views. And the people that I know, the people my age and younger, aren't engaging with broadcast linear television. They watch everything on their phones or everything online. So that was the, the idea behind it. But watching it and hearing some of the arguments that were advanced, they were really coherent. They were eloquently expressed. And I thought, they're probably better than some of the ones at the Chris versus Chris debates. And honestly, an older linear TV audience could have benefited from hearing these. I think there's always um, room for older audiences to pay attention to what younger people are thinking and feeling. Um, so I, I definitely hear your point on that. I think that um, for older audiences, older, I mean, maybe older audiences should be paying uh, uh, attention to what political parties are promising younger voters because it is the younger voters who are going to you know, be living with the consequences for a longer time. Younger voters, I think it's 61% or 64% are enrolled to vote at the moment compared to 90 plus and all of the older demographics. Because of that, uh, youth issues are seen as niche, then they don't get the same coverage and then youth participation lowers again. Is it kind of a vicious cycle? Yeah, I don't know what the solution to increasing youth voter turnout is, and that's something that people have asked me. I have to be focused on putting good, useful, credible information in the places that young people already are. They're spending their time on TikTok. Okay, well, TikTok, sometimes it can be a pit of misinformation and, like, stupid dance videos, but actually it's also uh, 40% of Gen Z are now using TikTok as a search engine instead of Google. They're not even using Google. 
people are there. They're looking for information. They're looking for useful, credible information. And if I can help put useful, credible information, the policies from 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 political parties across the spectrum, if I can put that on TikTok, and if hundreds of thousands of people can watch it and engage with it, then that's uh, my hope that that will be useful in getting young people engaged in politics. Do you think part of the problem is that lots of people don't have that attitude? They think when they're serving young people, it's about putting wacky stuff up or just entertainment-focused stuff, and they're not treating youth with enough respect as really serious political actors who care about serious topics. I definitely think that with Renews, that's kind of like our entire driving force is, is taking it seriously but doing it in a way in a tone and in a format and in a location um, that resonates with younger audiences so we've always believed well not even believed just known we've always known that younger audiences or younger people in New Zealand really care about politics really care about current events really care about the world Um, and I mean it's evidenced even with things like school strike for climate you know like it was the 16 year olds who who are marching in the streets by the thousands um, for climate change, you know, like uh, that's a very significant sign that young people do care about the world. Just because they're not subscribing to newspapers doesn't mean they don't care and that they're not interested. Uh, and so it's our job to make sure that we're putting the news and current events uh, information in a place that they'll that they'll interact with it. You mentioned <laughs> climate change. Now, that, that reminded me of one of the exchanges that we had on stage. Lee Donoghue from NZ First who answered a question about whether he was worried about dying in a climate disaster with the fact that he'd been struck by lightning at an Iron Maiden concert. Are you afraid of dying in an extreme weather event caused by climate change? No, I'm not afraid. (laughs) You've been hit, I have to ask, what? Yeah, I was in Rome uh, with a friend of mine. We went to an Iron Maiden Maiden concert (laughs) and... uh, we were walking over this bridge, and I was like, wow, look at that lightning. That's pretty cool. Bam! And wow. uh, yeah. Not climate change related, but that is, that is a, a pretty... very interesting story. Thank <laughs> you. It was an odd dynamic, though, wasn't it? Where you had these five quite serious politicians, and then it seemed that he was almost a figure of fun at some points. The lightning moment was. I, I did not see that coming. I uh, well, Neither did I he. Get, well, you never see lightning coming. You don't see it coming until it hits you. Um, so many politicians, it turns out, three politicians uh, have been hit by lightning. Uh, you know, Maureen Pugh from National has been hit by lightning three times. Labour's Aisha Verrill has been hit by lightning as well. I've never met a person in my entire life ever who's been hit by lightning. So uh, that was very interesting to me. So many politicians have been hit by lightning. The lightning strike victims in New Zealand Parliament compared to the general population has to be so out of whack. It's definitely um, a, po- a topic for a researcher, some academic somewhere. Can you look into that? Because I'm, I'm definitely interested. Because uh, actually a lot of the debate ended up centering on Lee Donoghue in a way because he was so out of place. He, he was obviously de- defending his party leaders' views on trans issues and bathrooms and all this sort of stuff. So was that quite a difficult thing to handle? Well, it was up to the parties who they put forward. So we it was really important to us that the parties put forward um, their 
candidates rather than like for example their youth wing uh, leaders um, we really wanted it to the parties to be putting forward their their MPs or their um, you know hopeful MPs because we want uh, politicians politicians to be taking a youth debate seriously and be taking youth voters seriously so the the nature of the political views at the at the moment across the parties really meant that you did end up with those kind of fiery moments between Greens and between New Zealand First. Some of these debates, they'll have like a member of the public asking a question. You made use of some of Ree's past reporting, right? So instead of audience questions, sometimes you had your own clips, your own news reports. Yeah, we wanted to be able to show, I guess, some of the human face of the issues that we're talking about. Um, you know, when we're talking about climate change, we opened that segment with the story of Jaden, who's a young person whose house got completely destroyed uh, by Cyclone Gabriel. You know, he lives in Napier, and uh, the videos him walking through his completely destroyed, uninhabitable house and talking about the climate anxiety that he now experiences. You know, the panic that rises up in him every time it rains. Now, during the you know the cost of living segment, we played a piece talking to young Pacifica high school students in Auckland who are working, some of them up to 50 hours a week, as well as going to high school, doing overnight shifts and trying to show up for school in the morning. I work approximately 25, 26 hours a week. I work 25 to 30 hours per week. I work 25 to 30 per hours a week. The most hours I've worked in a week would approximately be 47. Last week I worked Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and Saturday. The most I've ever worked was 40 to 50 hours a week. My um, shift started at 5 and we finished at 10.30 or 11.30. Uh, with my dad, um, I started at 10. And then I finished. Now RNZ is making its own forays into youth programming with Tahi and stuff like that. We don't exactly have the youngest audience or the most diverse audience. Now is Re at TVNZ a bit of a template to follow and what are the lessons there? Is it that if you're making youth program it doesn't have to be light or fluffy that serious issues really in demand? Yeah I mean I definitely can't. It's not for me to say what exactly any organisation should or shouldn't do. I think the sweet spot really is that we found is in the balance between serious and light. So the topics that we deal with, the you know news reporting that we do, the current affairs that we do, you know our long-form documentary series, we take on you know big topics, um, the, the, the climate change impact of our dairy industry, that kind of thing. But we also try and do it in a way that isn't just like, oh, it's very serious time, time to be very serious now. Um, you know, we still let ourselves be ourselves. And if there is something fun, then we can do something fun. Or if there is a, you know, with my Politics in 60 Seconds um, TikTok series, it's serious content, but it can have a little bit more of like the dumb gag of trying to do the 60 second timer. And, you know, I just film that in my own house, just wearing whatever, you know, tracksuit that I happen to be wearing that day. I think that there is a real power in taking uh, serious topics, but balancing that with a, a lighter treatment. Previous generations found authority in formality. The, the, the authority figures, whether they be politicians or police officers or, or uh, anyone, a serious man in a suit speaking formally, speaking perhaps sometimes, you know, putting on a, a, a you know, a, a serious or a serious voice. Younger audiences find that inauthentic. They think, oh, that's not how you actually talk. That's not actually what you, that's not what you wear on the weekend, is it? Uh, younger audiences find 
authenticity to be credible. So they find someone who's talking the way that they normally talk, who's wearing what they normally wear, who's in the place that they normally are in, uh, they find that believable. Don't be cringe. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's hard it to not be cringe. Is it cringe to be an old man on the radio talking about cringe for young people? Yeah, oh, I definitely, I mean, there will definitely be people who think that I'm, I'm cringe. But also, um, there's a <laughs> saying that I heard, um, don't kill the part of you that is cringe kill the part of you that cringes and that's just what I try to think whenever I'm worried that I'm being like oh am I being lame or embarrassing yeah I probably am but like whatever okay well there's some really useful lessons there Anna you've been at RE since it started about six years ago it's probably the most comprehensive service catering to youth audiences from any media outlet do you think that every media organisation needs to have its own version of RE? I can't necessarily say whether every organisation needs its own version of RE, but every organisation absolutely needs to be thinking about their future audiences and if they have uh, an audience base who is ageing, how are they going to engage with the digital generation? How are they going to make sure that the generations to come and the decades to come, not only how are they keeping their audiences, but also how are, how is New Zealand going to stay informed? How are younger people or digital users going to be informed about their world? How are they going to be getting their news and uh, current affairs information? Um, I also think it's really, really important for organisations to back their younger ventures. I think that places have, you know, uh, one of the things that's made re so successful is, number one, I think we do genuinely have really good ideas and we keep experimenting, we keep trying, we keep learning. Uh, but also TVNZ has really backed us. And even if new things aren't perfect, even if they're getting criticised, it's really important to still just just keep on on persevering. Not the same, right? But that was the criticism with Today FM when it ended. They said, well, you didn't even give us a chance to try and to sort out all of the early wrinkles. Yeah, my heart really breaks for for new for, for people who are trying new ventures. Uh, and when, you know, when people just kind of want to, want to, you know, really criticise them and tear them down, because I know what it's like to start a new media platform. Like when we started Renews, we were trying something completely new. Some things didn't work. Some things worked amazingly. You have to be able to, you know, not every single story went viral, but a whole bunch of them did. And so we learned from that. We go, okay, cool. So this is what's working. Yeah, you have to be able to to back new, new vehicles for um, engaging younger audiences. Because if we aren't allowed to, to try and keep trying, then I, I do worry about about the future of media in New Zealand. Thank you so much for joining me, Anna. Thank you very much. That was Anna Harcourt, the content editor at ReNews, which is TVNZ's digital service targeting younger Kiwis with news and content on the media platforms they usually use. And last Wednesday, she hosted a lively and informative youth-focused election debate, along with Isaac Gunson from TVNZ's digital news team. If you missed it, you'll find it on TVNZ Plus in the Your Vote section of the app or the website, which itself is pretty hard to miss now that the election campaign is in full swing.
Well, that TVNZ Youth Issues debate on Monday was one of several aired or streamed this past week. There was also News Hub's first Luxon versus Hipkins debate, hosted by Patrick Gower, which we mentioned earlier, in which the host promised he would go up the guts from the start. And he was probably looking for a little more guts from Christopher Luxon when he asked him if Winston Peters was good or bad for the country. To keep Chris Is out he good or bad? Or yes or no? Because you, you said you know, will deal I, with him if you had I to. don't know him, Paddy. I don't know him well. Everybody knows him. No. It's Winston Peters. <laughs> and that was a surprising response, given that he just made a special video before that, handed to political reporters in advance, explaining that he would indeed pick up the phone to Winston Peters after the election if he needed him to change the government. I looked at that and other special election coverage from the past week in this week's Midweek Media Watch on Nights with Mark Leishman last Wednesday. If you missed it, Midweek Media Watch is on the Media Watch page of the RNZ website, our section of the RNZ app, or available for free wherever you get your podcasts. This week, the talk radio network News Talk ZB sprang a surprise with the sudden launch of a new online news service for subscribers called ZB+. Now, it wasn't a surprise that the owners NZME would put up another paywall for its content. It already offers digital subscriptions for the Herald's premium content and journalism and its fashion and lifestyle stuff called Viva. And NZME also owns Business Desk, whose business stories are behind another paywall, and it also runs one for the Listener Magazine's content on the Herald's website. But while all those were launched with a bit of a hiss and a roar, this one arrived with no advance notice this week, until the New Zealand Herald's editor-at-large Shane Carey broke the news on the Herald's website on Tuesday. So what will people who pay a premium for ZB Plus actually get? Well, on the ZB website, they promise this. You'll find no mealy-mouthed, non-committal utterances here. News Talk ZB gets straight to the point with the best opinion writers and exclusive news you can always trust. And ZB Plus also says that it offers leading opinions from today's opinion leaders and that our writers and reporters will call it as they see it. Though most major news organisations are usually at pains to say their reporters don't actually do opinions, they just report the facts. Now previously, Shane Curry, who the Herald calls its media insider, had revealed the paywalls that the Herald's rivals at Stuff were planning to put up for their local news, which was a headache for Stuff at the time because it wasn't quite ready to launch and didn't really want the world to know its commercial details. But the ZB Plus website went live on ZB's own website last Tuesday, just as Shane Curry's story about it hit the Herald site. Now the Herald and ZB are of course owned by the same company, NZME, so was this a coincidence, or was this a bit of commercial choreography, or curryography even? Well, a disclaimer on Shane Curry's story made it clear that he did know all about this paywall plan before Tuesday. Media insider columnist Shane Curry has been helping recruit several columnists for the new venture. And those first columnists are an interesting bunch. A couple are already ZB contributors and broadcasters, such as Fran O'Sullivan, NZME's Editorial Director of Business, and also the Managing Director of NZ Inc., whose mission is to enable New Zealand business and leaders to succeed by staying informed on current events. Now, Jamie Mackay presents NZME's rural show The Country, and Company Director Bruce Cotterill already does regular opinion pieces for The Herald. 
And the boss of the New Zealand initiative think tank, Oliver Hartwich, already writes columns of his own as well, as does former ACT Party MP Muriel Newman on the website of her own think tank, the New Zealand Centre for Political Research. And add to that lineup Catherine Rich, a former National Party MP who formerly lobbied for big food retailers at the Food and Grocery Council. And it's all looking like the straight-talking opinions on ZB Plus are likely to be right-leaning and pretty pro-business. And the editor in charge of all this is Philip Crump. Now, in his Herald story, Shane Curry called him a well-known writer. But that's a bit of an odd description of a lawyer who was unknown in the media until recently, at least under his own name. But he did gain some notoriety through his Substack newsletter and Twitter account under the pseudonym Thomas Cranmer, the name of an Archbishop of Canterbury back in the time of Henry VIII, who was eventually executed for heresy. Now, this modern-day blogger's motivation, though, appeared to be transparency. His modus operandi was combing through documents in the public domain or obtained under the Official Information Act about government projects and state agencies. Now, some of his revelations were picked up by the mainstream media and columnists, such as details of government contracts and grants awarded to organisations run by, or associated with, relatives of former local government minister Nanaia Mahuta, and that was at a time when the Three Waters controversy was at its height. But recently, media writer Daniel Dunkley at NZME-owned Business Desk put two and two together after reading an anguished online Thomas Cranmer essay which was published by the UK-based Spectator, in which he argued that New Zealand was being deeply damaged by identity politics and intersectionality. And in that recent article, Unmasking Philip Crump, he told Daniel Dunkley New Zealand would be better off with a more partisan press, a bit more like they have in the UK. So maybe ZB Plus will be something like that, but why would NZME put a non-journalist in charge of an outlet which says no story will be off-limits for news and commentary? Well, this week, MediaWatch asked to speak to NZME's Chief Digital and Publishing Officer Carolyn Louie and the ZB Plus editor and transparency enthusiast Philip Crump. But NZME said, through a spokesperson, they declined to comment on this occasion, though they did thank us for the opportunity. Well, News Talk ZB already has a lot of radio hosts airing their opinions often, and many are strident and lean to the political right. And, as we mentioned, many of ZB Plus's contributors already put their own opinions out there online. And some of Muriel Newman's ones for her own Centre for Political Research are pretty out there as well. For instance, she railed against vaccine coercion a few times during the COVID crisis, and just one day before the ZB Plus announcement, she published a column condemning the news media like this. Most mainstream media organisations accepted handouts from Labour's $55 million Public Interest Journalism Fund and, as a result, became echo chambers for government propaganda with tens of millions of dollars of additional taxpayers' money also poured into the media through government advertising and sponsorship, it's no wonder the public became worried the media had been bought off and could no longer be trusted as a reliable source of information. Coincidentally, NZME was one of the biggest media beneficiaries of government support. It accepted millions in wage subsidies as well as advertising and a chunk of that public interest journalism fund funding. But in that column on Tuesday, Dr Muriel Newman also said this. We don't need the media to advocate political agendas. We have politicians for that. But what we do need is balance and truth in the news. Is that too much to ask? Well, no, it isn't. But it will be interesting to see if ZB Plus delivers a bit of that as well.
Late last week, news that was essentially inevitable for many in the media industry finally broke, yet somehow it had felt that way for so long that some began to think it might never actually come. After seven decades as a mega media mogul, 92-year-old Rupert Murdoch confirmed he was handing over control of his giant international news companies, Fox and News Corp, to his son, Lachlan Murdoch. But this wasn't a retirement or resignation as most people would know it. He said he would be sticking around, having given himself the unusual title of Chairman Emeritus. But in the UK, the US and Australia, those who are still on Rupert Murdoch's channels reacted on air to his transition from boss to Chairman Emeritus like this. Thank you, Rupert, and congratulations. He is an extraordinary man with amazing energy optimism, but also I think when he looks at someone he sees 10 years beyond. Uh, just to sit there and watch him eat lamb chops was quite an honour. Not stepping aside, this is just a transition yeah. and we're very excited and for thank the next you. step on that. Yeah, thank you. Now that gallery of greasers was culled from last Monday's edition of Media Watch in Australia. It's a TV show on their public broadcaster, the ABC. And its host, Paul Barry, has been watching Murdoch for years. And we'll hear from him all about Murdoch's big move and what it might mean, and more on Media Watch next weekend. For now, though, that's all we have for you this week. But we'll be back again with more on the media with Midweek Media Watch after the 10pm news on Wednesday. And then back again with more Media Watch at the same time next weekend here on RNZ National.